Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kelsrow, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host of this exploration of faith during this time of tremendous crisis. On this sixth Sunday after Pentecost, I have one question for you, my co-host, yes, the Archdeacon, Rodney Whiteman. Do you seek God actively or do you allow yourself to be surprised by God's presence in the world? <laughs> I think it's always been my, oh, not, let, me, let, me, let me not be so absolute and say always. <laughs> say, good morning to you, Lindsay, and good morning to all the listeners. And we do pray that we do seek God's healing upon you to be uh, to put a pun forward <laughs> in terms of your, um, you know, I always thought the point was that my my heart automatically searches for God. Um, when I wake up in the morning, is God the first word in my mouth? Is God the first um, reality I seek for? The person of the, uh, you know, the persons of the Trinity, all, all of that. And, and sometimes with so many things on my mind, you know, that I go to bed with that perhaps are unresolved in the wake up. I actually think the, that, that it's God who motivates the, and initiates the conversation. It is God who seeks us. And then we learn in our encounter with he who seeks us to then learn that our hearts need him. Um, you know, I'm, Probably very Augustine when I say this, um, because I'm, you know, really motivated by those words. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So, so it's the shepherd that seeks the lost sheep, and the sheep then realizes that it needs the shepherd, and so learns how to begin to seek the shepherd. And we obviously don't get that right. Yeah. So I think that, let me say that the one who seeks us first uh, teaches us how important it is that we uh, learn also to seek after him. Okay. Um, so that's my, my real, you know, um, again, another, I mean, probably a Pauline understanding why we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'd say this in the context of, of the James Webb Space Telescope images that came out this week, which are just truly beautiful. If you haven't checked them out, please do. I'll link um, the NASA page in the podcast description, where you'll also find all the choice passages from the readings um, and the prayers, the collect, those sorts of things. And I, I find it strange that we can live in a universe, be a small speck within this near infinite universe, um, and now have this crystal clear view of the near infrared and infrared spectrum deep into space, further than we have ever seen before, with more detail and just thousands upon thousands upon millions of, of galaxies that we, we, we can observe, and then um, there's still people trying to <laughs> run around and look for God here on Earth. Yeah, I think that, that you know, isn't that, isn't that a, a, a peculiar? Um, 
God, God made us, from my own perspective, made us curious people. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, it depends on how much of our formation growing up um, were we allowed to be curious because children by, by nature are curious children. That's how we, we yeah. learn the world uh-huh. around us by sight and touch uh, and, and, and so forth, the senses. And we are often uh, curbed in our, um, in our, uh, what's his name, where, with words like don't touch there, don't do this, and so on, and so yeah. on, and so on. Yeah. Reading makes us curious about a world that we don't know that's outside of us. So I think that um, any Christian should be fascinated by scientific developments, yeah. not to see any kind of formal proof of God's existence, but just as a way that we have discovered ways to, to, to broaden our perspective of what is out there and how do we understand it. And um, on Friday, I was going to, um, to an event in Silvermine where a book was, that was being uh, handed over to the person about who the book was, um, a uh, Reverend Professor John Suckett, who's um, celebrated his 100th birthday, a very dedicated priest of the mm. Lord. And um, one of the things about my journey was listening to Cape Talk, which often happens when I get into the car too, because I seek to be informed. Cape Talk is the one radio that I drive with when I seek to be informed. And this, this debate came up um, about this news, and he was asked a question. This man is quite knowledgeable about things, yeah. which he didn't hear properly because of the, diet of, of the, you know, the sound waves. But also the presenter, um, Lance, did not, um, did not uh, help him. But the one question that was asked, very brilliant question, I thought, that in all of this that you are seeing out there, is there any form of suggestion of who may be the intelligence within the Big Bang theory, within the Big Bang? Yeah. Um, any form of visibility of the intelligence behind such an event? And uh, unfortunately, he didn't hear that part of the question, so he couldn't ask. But the question was asked is always the, the question of curiosity. Is there a God or isn't there? Yeah. Um, you know, Dan Brown wrote the book called Origins, and those are the questions that are, were being explored there. Mm. Um, who are we? Mm. Is there a God? And where are we heading towards the questions that they came up? So, yes, I, I think we must celebrate this discovery. We must celebrate the work being done to help us learn about the world and the universe around us, even though we may not even understand the magnitude. I mean, when I listen to these scientists that talks about we have a billions of universes it just boggles my mind to think of the vastness of creation yeah. and yes i do then ask the same question that was posed um i'm curious about the intelligence behind all of this mm, intelligent about. design yeah i i obviously have other <clears throat> other thoughts about that uh, but the theme you have extracted uh, from the colic, I think, is intimacy with you, Lord, is the better part. Um, 
and then the readings give us an interesting picture of of the Christian faith, where the first one is the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. So yeah, God and Amos now apparently go into this little dialogue, and God kind of plays off as, as like one of those, those high school English teachers, <laughs> where he's like, um, what do you see? So he shows him a basket of fruit, uh, God now showing Amos. And then Amos is like a basket of fruit. So God says, the end has come for my people Israel. I will not change my mind again about punishing them. On that day, the songs in the palace will become cries of mourning. There will be dead bodies everywhere. They will be cast out in silence. So I'm trying to like piece together this idea that there's a basket of fruit and how, um, just just firstly, how this basket of fruit can like take on this kind of meaning. Yeah, it does sound what's his name the first thing as you sort of described it to me realize that the basket of fruit will never stay fresh after it's picked indeed they will peep in a rottenness to it and uh, um it is interesting that last week god asks him to, to 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 say what he's seeing and he calls the plumb line now it's a basket of fruit so there is a kind of a um symbolism to the condition uh, that the people of, of, of God has uh, sort of found themselves in and that they yeah. were not producing. Yeah. Also, the other thing is what kind of fruit is being produced in their life as the people of the covenant, uh, the people who covenanted with God. Uh, does the fruit resemble that freshness, that uh, sense of true uh, collaboration with God through an obedient faith? And through a missional uh, approach to ensuring that other people got to know who God was through their witness. Um, and maybe so it's both for me the rottenness of the, the misuse or the un unused gifts and, and, and sense development as the covenant people of God. On the other hand, that what fruit does God find amongst the people in terms of their, their uh, agreement to be in this covenant with him? for the sake of the world. Um, yeah. So that would be the two. So it's like the measuring, measuring rod, um, the symbolism that, um, uh, you know, describe our lives. What, what do they teach us about us that we would need to learn from? Yeah. Um, of course, in order to bring the message to the people, the, the person called to to see what God sees in visionary form as to have some kind of understanding and knowledge so that he could discern what it is that God needed to say to the people. But it is a very interesting um, symbolism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In what follows sounds of well, how does this fit with, with that imagery? <laughs> I think it's both those things for me. The fact that fruit picked once picked is, is if not used, not eaten, becomes rotten and, and wasted. So a life that is not lived, um, you know, uh, in relation to, to God, your covenant, the covenanted one, um, will fade, will yeah. be useless. Yeah. The other hand, can God find the fruit of the covenant being born in the people through their faithfulness? And he, yeah. he does yeah. But then, like, I, I'm a big fan of, of Amos, even though he's considered as a minor prophet. Um, but um, yeah. uh, 
the Jewish people who the sons of Abraham who I know take take this dude very seriously. And and I dig he's I know we, we spoke off air about uh, the idea that only the Sith deals in absolutes, but his idea of of God was so absolute. He was so committed to this idea of like economic justice of yeah. the the religious practice having no bearing on like your favor um from from God where it's like you can pray as much as you want but if you don't live it you know <laughs> these things are going to yes. come but then the one thing i don't like um and and i think you can even read my mind about what what i'm going to say now is this idea of a punishing god because in, mm. in colossians we get we get shown this idea of colossians chapter 1 verse 15 to 28 um of christ is the vis- is the visible likeness of the invisible god he is the firstborn son superior to all created things uh, the, that in its own has its own problems which which i will get to but this this idea of a of a punishing god is is very rich in in jewish culture obviously um and then within evan- evangelical cultures as as well where god kind of gets placed as the figurehead and not um jesus uh and again like if you are christian you follow christ and not before that um at least that's 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 my interpretation of that so did god stop punishing people and then just punish jesus uh, I, i'm sorry for making light of it but you know it's, it's no. like this weird this, this weird thing that people yes. believe I, you know, I think that we continue to 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 struggle with how, what what is the true what is the true nature of God revealed? Yeah. Now, when a prophet speaks, thus saith the Lord, right? Yeah. And the words yeah. that come out, um, like you know, the time is coming when I will send a famine on the land. Yeah. And then you read that Jesus is the likeness the visible likeness of the invisible god so if if this is how god spoke then when people did not seem to collaborate with him by faith and obedience once he's drawn them into a covenant relationship now you're saying jesus and jesus would jesus have would say would jesus is it been revealed through the gospel narratives that Jesus acted in the same way. Now, when we look at the version of God presented in the um, prophets, the assumption is this is a punishing God. If you don't listen, you're going yeah. to get punished. Now, now here, here is where I'm, I'm challenged. Does God punish or is it as a result of our disobedience that, that uh, therefore um, things would have a bearing on it. It's just sin that famine comes to us. Is famine a sign? Like with HIV AIDS, the whole question about people living with HIV AIDS was, is it a punishment um, to, to humankind? Because simply because it was so closely associated with homosexuality, yeah. it was then seen yeah. as a punishment to, to, to God. Um, and does Jesus present a different face of God, a different side of God? Does he say that the same image of the punishing God is actually 
the image of a merciful God? Um, is there credence to the Hebraic um, understanding where a child, a father, a parent loves a child when the child is disciplined? Um, yeah. yeah, I hate you because I love you. Yeah, it's expression of what's his name. So, but but it's still the one who wants you to do to do right. But if you continue to do what is not helpful, then what are the consequences thereof? Um, and does God then just allow the consequences to follow? Um, and does it come from Him as the form of punishment? So I think there are some people that I've met, uh, older people who have come to the point where they don't want to read the Old Testament anymore because yeah. it images yeah. a God who you know, who punishes, uh, God who kills. Um, but, but again, yeah, one, one has to understand that um, there's no way where even other th thoughts of our minds can fully comprehend the true love and mercy. Um, uh, discipline is also part of uh, the expression of a, a parent, God is a parent who says, you know, the only way that these these children of mine are going to listen is if they feel the consequences of their behavior. That's what I struggle with as well. And I think that's what your question is valid because that's what we're seeking to explore. How do we, it's, it's, it's presented there. So how am I meant to, what am I meant to glean from this about who God is in order for me to then proclaim and preach the God of the Bible um, through Amos, for example. Um, yeah. If I were to get up on the pulpit on Sunday and say, in the light of the revelations of, um, of the news about um, our president and about our parliament, which is in disarray at the moment, uh, and because we were not obedient to the fact that God gave us the democracy we cried for and all of that, wow. uh, you know, we are going through the the electrical crisis we are as a consequence of our disobedience. You know what I mean? That that I I could not stand up to preach that. I could yeah. I could I could not stand up and say COVID was a punishment because the world has just gone against the grain. Um, mm. I mean. I haven't I haven't heard anybody the the people who got up to say all of these things are people that we are saying sound like they are mad when yeah. they such a thing. So yes, I think we all struggle with how are we meant to interpret the nature of God from scripture if if at all we are supposed to interpret the nature of God revealed through a prophet. Who had lots of credibility because he he needed to shake up the society, and in yeah. shaking up the society, does it mean that if we don't respond to that message, the consequences would end up to seem to be a punishment from God? Yeah, um, I, I obviously I, I say this also in the context of I read this this really wickedly funny quote. <laughs> um, before we started recording, there's this Twitter account called the Tweet of God, um, and it's obviously a, a, a mistake, and um, it's 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 great satire. And it said, "If you don't sin this weekend, Jesus died for nothing." 
and obviously wow. resonates um, um, quite quite deeply with me um talking talking about these kinds of things but i found enlightenment obviously in in removing the idea of 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 a deity um entirely and in just kind of life as it is which which gives me a lot of peace um so i don't i don't have this this disability of of thinking that something is out there you know controlling my my actions and my responses to things that take full responsibility for for everything that i'm doing so now we we move to the colossians thing and i'm not going to debate the authenticity of this like we did last week uh, at a little bit in the week before but this idea that christ is this absolutely perfect thing and then we also presented with the idea that humans are made in the likeness of god so it's like they can't well they, they can exist both ideas but they can't they they exist in 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 conflict you know like do you believe that you are made in the likeness of god and do you believe that jesus is superior to you in that same likeness well look i embrace i there's no doubt about it that one of the influences of me understanding accepting um uh, that jesus is the the, the the true humanity and 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 uh, the humanity that, that exists in a an intimate relationship with our the creator um called us into being um did if we go back to the creation stories do we learn from there as as people explore the understanding of you know coming from psalm 8 what is human humanity that you should care for them yeah. um that you should yeah. make them a little less than angels so there was that oh, oh, and, oh you know who are we really Yeah. and what are we yeah. really meant to be do we have an we may have words that define what humanity is but you know do we is it truly that which we we are so did jesus come and present the true humanity to us and gleaning from the readings of scripture i certainly believe um so i am influenced very much by that pauline understanding in second corinthians which says uh anyone that is in Christ is a new creation now i'm influenced by that simply because i believe in that incredible mystery of the incarnation yeah. um Christ embodied our humanity become one with us i embrace uh, pauline's thoughts in philippians 2 um as he shares our humanity became a, a servant even obedient to death uh so he shared that passion the, the baptism of jesus gives me a deeper sense of his solidarity with my condition and my circumstances as a human being i find in christ the one that helps me to to um look at who i am uh, he, i i for me jesus mirrors uh what my what my heart searches for in in what humanity in what being human is yeah. um now it doesn't mean i didn't learn rays of hope in your of humanity in my parents for example uh whose formation of 
my life is out of love and even though there was no wealth in circumstances um th there was there was love there was um protection there was exemplary living uh, and 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 most of, of it i mean um my dad for example i used to see kneeling before he goes to work uh, at five o'clock in the morning at the couch uh, as the sun rose on our front of, on our front window yeah um uh, uttering prayers why, why did it why did turning to god at the beginning of the morning matter to him when he he went what did what did he seek for to become in his place of work and in his home as husband and father and uh, with these examples of what it means to be human and in order to do that we needed god's help to be human so i i i embrace those realities for myself yeah when i when i see yeah. it alongside uh, history the history of humanity, the history of the world that I read about here and there and let learnt about, I begin to question the display of humanity's realities in um, in that, yes, th there are lots of positive things that human beings have been created about. There's lots of destructive, destructive stuff as well. And the church is not exempt from that. Sadly, yeah. we also showed lots of ways of being inhuman than uh, you know be, being human in the way christ has taught us to become yeah so i i see in jesus that, that which paul says you know in christ i become a new humanity a, a new person a new um a sense of community of humanity that i found nowhere else uh, yeah but then my my pursuits may be limited <clears throat> You know, I I found that in Christ, that's where, if I could deliberate, I mean, you know, for lack of better words, see the answer. Yeah. But then uh, this Colossians passage quickly descends into into that uh, toxic idea that I like to bring up of like, um, it's more like <laughs> gaslighting Christians, and it it's it reminds me of a of there's there's a sense of you know how cult leaders grow in their power. And then they make themselves the only font of knowledge. Because here in verse 24, he goes, And now I am happy about my sufferings for you. For by means of my physical sufferings, I am helping to complete what, is, what still remains of Christ's sufferings on behalf of his body, the church. And I have been made a servant of the church by God, who gave me this task to perform for your good. It is the task of fully proclaiming his message, which is the secret he hid through all past ages of all human beings, but has now revealed to his people. God's plan is to make known his secret to his people, this rich and glorious secret which he has for all peoples. And now it's like this, this concept of, I am the font of knowledge um, because I've been ordained by Jesus and God um, because Jesus has, through no other evidence, Jesus has, presented himself to me i had my great revelation i changed from being you know persecuting to now being an ally and there's the secret that must be shared but you can only find the secret that can only be revealed to you um if you do these things in this way and like i i really despise 
that, that idea because I mean we've seen this this repeated um, so many times by serial abusers and by um, so so where do you stop like do you actively seek or do you allow it to be revealed <laughs> I think what is being what is being revealed uh, is what we respond to yeah you know one looks at the formation of, of, of a human being in children then um, um, Again, yeah, that's the mystery to me. How how do I know from a biological perspective, um, as a baby, how do I know that the person telling me constant times in my growing, um, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, was the words that they used help me to identify what they were revealing to me so that I grew up knowing that that's my mother yeah. I mean I don't I don't necessarily have a sense of the umbilical cord attachment that biological factors but then um, some people may come to me and then say you look like your father so that looks now reveal my association with my dad um, and then you may you do things like your mom does that now make me associated with you because because of that so so then when i look at jesus when i look at the and when i look at the flower that i share this common earth with mm -hmm. and i do wonder why are we, why, why are we, I mean, I, I used to, I used to think this, I used to say, why is that dog a dog? Is it possible that I could also become a dog and not a human being? So, so why am I me and that dog is that dog and the plant is the plant? What is all of this about? Um, so I'm responding to what is revealed because I've heard about it. I see it. And my mind has had developed through various interactions, reading and learning that has made me identify eventually that actually, you know, I shouldn't destroy the plant just because it's so easy and vulnerable to destroy. But I actually share the common earth with this plant. And there must be a reason why we are meant to be together for a season. Yeah. Um, so therefore, I need to grow an appreciation for the the fellow part of of creation, rather than be destructive about it. Uh, but of course, um, as I grow in what is being revealed, you know, for example, um, just a simple thing: uh, God revealed in prayer, right? Uh, there's a revelation of God in prayer because of the words we use. So now I learned my at my family's home um a prayer that seems to be common to everybody out there when we pray for our meals uh -huh. and we and the prince mm -hmm. is make us truly thankful right yeah now i go into another context this time i'm an adult now this 
this I'm, I'm living with a priest's family and the priest is helping me to discern whether I've got a call to the priesthood or not. Um, because I chose to work there. And, <laughs> and then he says to me, isn't it odd, Rodney, that we ask God to make us truly thankful? We can't even be thankful on our own. So now I, I get a different glimpse through that same prayer of, you know, what, what, is, what has God revealed that made us learn to say a prayer in that way about food in relation to God? What has been revealed um, to me at my table of my family in my response to the food on the table as provided? And then uh, learning a little bit deeper, saying, why is it that I must be made to be thankful by the one who provided the food and that I can't even be thankful on my own? So now I'm, I'm challenged. Has this been a development in my understanding of revelation? And therefore, my, I deepen the sense of my sense of who God is, that do I say that at the table where I'm asking to be thankful, that I'm still a work in progress, that though my physical body and all of that seems to have reached its level of completion, yeah. I'm not going to get any, any handsomer than I am, and my hair is going to fall out at some point when I get older. But now my mind, my, my heart, my inward, my emotions are still very much in its youthful formation. So now I'm having to grow in that understanding to revelation. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and, I mean, I believe in the unfolding of revelation. Yeah. So what we've seen today as we explore it, as we encounter it, as we are encountered by it, then uh, it, we, we are surprised. So here's your word. Have I been surprised by God or am I the one that is seeking after him? And um, there is a book on my shelf written, written by a used guy that is called The God of Surprises. Yeah. But God meets us at the moment in our seeking. Um, and he seeks us in the moment when we are not seeking so that we can then begin to learn the value of seeking after him. So, yes, I think that in, I mean, in the whole uh, idea of, of, of starting with it, what is that first telescope that revealed everything? Hubble. The Hubble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, 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 was showing us how, how far back we could look. And then we said, but we know that something is beyond that. Yeah. yeah. And so we now have explored, we think we've explored enough to know what Abel told us. Yeah. But now yeah. our hearts yearn to go beyond that. Yeah. Uh, I feel sorry for Abel, though, because Abel <laughs> is now the meme of like, that's yes. the before picture now. <laughs> it's like, Abel has been a faithful but, but, servant to humanity. Absolutely, but wouldn't we continue going back to where Hubble gave us this uh, opportunity to to look at that? We can't just go forward without being grateful for what has been revealed. This is true. That, what, that what we have, you know, comes because something already has gone before. But so I'll, I'll, I th yes, I'll go come. Ahead. I'll come back to 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 the 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 dinner prayer or the prayer for food. 
Uh, my read on that has always been uh, after my my moment of enlightenment, after my my fall from the faith, if you will, um, that those kinds of things of being reminded to be truly thankful and at, if you cross reference it with like how societies have been shaped by the powerful, by like the monarchies, where the monarchies are ordained by God, you know. Like they've been put there, uh, not because, and even now in today, like you can't really make it into higher echelons of power if you don't come from like wealth, um, because there's a certain cost to to that kind of influence. Uh, where those things, where you get constantly reminded to be pious, to be thankful, is like internaling, internalizing uh, this abuse. Um, where if you're gonna knock somebody down on their knees every single time. Uh, it was in, I think it's the Morgan Freeman documentary, Looking for God, In Search of God, I forget, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where he goes to the Egyptian uh, uh, pyramids and he walks in and this lady explains to him why the passage was so short, why he almost had to leopard crawl, because you now have to always be bowing to the God King, you know? So they designed the pyramid, the access to the pyramid so that you're always bowing um, when you're coming into that that space, into that presence, and um, yeah, I I firmly believe that that repeating those ideas is the thing that is keeping you kind of away. It's like it's like the idea that you can't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. You know, it's 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 this artificial barrier that's been put in place to make sure that you are that you know your place. I look I what I what I understand is that whilst interpretations have been given to yeah. to enforce an idea um I mean, I I think the prayer at the table was never enforced was what we were taught when yeah. we when we said it. Um but I I don't think we are meant to stay there because as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our understanding of ourselves, of the world, and of God, uh, and through our encounters with scripture and in conversation and so on, then we learn to reassess how prayers can be made. So in, in one level, you know, if somebody gives me something, do I automatically say thank you? Is it a habit of mine to say thank you? Uh, when you think of some of the cultures around these hand gestures, the way you hold your hand to show that you are thankful, you may not necessarily use the words, uh, which is more um, a westernized thing. Words are more important than gestures. Indigenous people have grown up with uh, the sense of gesturing, your gratitude of your heart, you know. so, so you then do learn to um, to realize. I've learned to realize how easily I do not use the word thank you when somebody hands me something. It's not an automatic thing. Yeah. It then comes afterwards when I realize because I've been defocused on the moment. I uh, realize that you know actually I was helped there, and so I need to show uh, gratitude with my words, not just by taking, but by yeah. the words. Which is I grew up with. So, um, so do I therefore go back to that prayer and say, you know, Lord, I really do need to learn you to help me to be more, more, more grateful 
uh, to what I receive, to what is shared with me in this life. Uh, yeah. I've got to maybe use the word more. And, you know, I'm bound by this understanding. You said you firmly believe. Let me also be firmly believe and say <laughs> this is why I'm so attracted to the Eucharist. Yeah. Because yeah. the Eucharist is the prayer of great thanksgiving. It's, 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 it's that reality that teaches me how to live gratefully. Mm. How to, to realize that all that I have is gift. And that I therefore, you know, so even the, the money I earn, do, yeah. do I not suddenly identify it? as my money you know uh, it's no longer the boss's money but this is my and we use wonderful words like this is my sweat and blood and tears you know the yeah. evidence of hard work um, uh, um and and is there is there nothing else to say about but you know thank you for the strength that you gave me to work the wisdom we asked that i gave you know all of these kind of things so the eucharist teaches me keeps me on my toes about how to live thankfully, yeah. how to be thankful. Um, uh, so yeah, I think that in one way, I, I cannot move away from my beginnings uh, where I'm taught that I need God's help to be thankful. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I, I've grown up and I'm now no longer um, just, I'm a, I forget how to, to be thankful. So I have to be taken back and revisit there. Why did my parents teach me? that it's important to say, God, help me to be thankful. Help me to be the person you want me to be because I'm struggling with finding that identity. So in a way, um, what, is, what is that scientific reality that eventually is about the God particle? That somewhere in me, there is that deep yearning for who God is in order for me to become who I am. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've always, from a young age, it, it, it used to bother me that, um, like, we, we, we didn't grow up with, with a lot, my mother sacrificed a lot uh, for us. So then the thankfulness I always thought was cheapened by, like, sending it off to to this invisible deity um, and not directed at the person who actually, you know, sacrificed such a lot for for that and um i i i just feel that 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 it it robs some of the credibility from from those people who have really moved mountains um for you to be the person that you are uh but let's end on a on a on a lighter note of luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 specifically verse 41 martha martha you are worried and distracted by many things there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So now the context obviously is um, Jesus and the disciples go visit Mary and Martha and Martha's cleaning and cooking and doing all the practical things. And Mary's just like sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from, from him. And then she's like, yo, um, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. And then the response is obviously this Martha Martha thing. It gets, I, I've heard it um, growing up, Khaled, you hear it uh, a lot in different spheres of, of, of the culture. And I, I just want to, I want to get your, your read on, on what Jesus is trying to, your interpretation of what, what the message is here. 
Martha and Mary is a very important uh, symbolism for um, I said the AWF for the Mothers Union ladies. Yeah, they. This is a, a, a one of their what's his name, their um, uh, learnings that they glean from in terms of, of, of women and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, when when Jesus enters into this home, at this point. Lazarus doesn't seem either to be around or he, he's passed on. Jesus' familiarity in that family um, and his interaction with with them. Yeah. Um, the question in this story for me is who is the host? Hmm. Arthur, are you the host or am I the host? You distracted by seeking to be Come hospitable, but my visit to your home is to show you the divine hospitality, the divine grace um, that I come here to offer you more than whatever you could offer me in terms of the distractions that you are wanting to build up to show your hospitality. Hospitality was a huge thing in the ancient Near Eastern world. So for me, the big the big question there would be um, that Mary chose to see Jesus as host of the occasion, um, and and Martha thought she was meant to be the host of such an important visitor. Yeah. Um, and for me, so simply that's my my take on it. And again, yeah, go back to the Eucharist because. The Eucharist is not about me celebrating, but um, you know, it's about who the host is of of gathering, not those who just believe, but of gathering and showing hospitality to the whole world. And that is Jesus when he presents himself in bread and wine. Um, so, so who is the host there? And Mary seemed to have picked up that that's what she needed to respond to. That Jesus was the is the ultimate host, um, and we are invited into Him, into His presence, into the presence of the Father, of the of the whole of who God is. Um, and it's in that hospitality that we now then show hospitality to others yeah but there's a more radical kind of message there because martha is obviously by centuries of cultural practice she's under the weight of of that expectation of of what her role is and here you have this homie who's like no that's not important um and that that kind of it it shakes that it illustrates the true radicalness um of how jesus this philosophy challenged um, what what was learned in in the Old Testament. If we go back to to what Amos was saying there with the fruit basket and all that stuff and the earthquakes and um, even then gets distorted, obviously by as as my reading is um, by the Colossians passage where he, he's kind of dehumanized. But I I, I use the term dehumanized um, to say that. There's a separation 
um, from Jesus that gets emphasized where if you read the portrayals of Jesus in air quotes, um, he's more human than anything. And yeah, it's, it's just that distortion of, of the message that, that, that concerns me. And yet it is because he is who he is according to the Colossians passage that enables him to bring to the world in this event um, a hospitality that frees women from their cultural burdens that has been put upon them by the ordering of society. Uh, going back again to the powerful and the wealthy and the patriarchic mind that Jesus comes and yes, radicalizes society by the human, by the divine expression of hospitality in, in this. Um, what, what we could say, you know, was he teaching us that men must, women must, Men must cease seeking women to, to, to stand ready to serve them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's actually saying, just by my presence and being there, Martha, I'm here to serve you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not the other way around. And that would then enable Martha to uh, rise up from that experience and encounter to be able to challenge the context in which she lived in. So in a very gentle way, Jesus is, as you say, being very radical uh, with human hospitality, with divine hospitality in a human, in a human expression. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I don't agree with everything you said there. I still have issues with the Colossians <laughs> depiction. <laughs> but I think that's a great way uh, to end it this time. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. Um, Archdeacon for giving some great insight and again yielding a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate you, my brother, and I appreciate all that are listening and for your family too that allows you to to engage me in this wonderful uh, formative way and informative way and transformative way.